Father, those are not just words that we have sung. But hopefully every last one of us believes that in our bosom. That God, you are greater than any opposition. You're greater than any challenge. You're greater than any problem. You're greater than any circumstance. God, you are greater. The demons will eventually fall at your feet and worship. You are greater. And Father, I pray, especially today as we talk about courage, that you will drive fear away from us. That you'll turn our timid, hesitant hearts to those of a child who trusts implicitly in their heavenly Father. God, we pray that you work today. Lord, even as I pray, I, I know that in this room there are great visions, there's great assignments from you, there, there are great callings from you, there, there, there are great missions that you have in store, and things that you want to do through all of us. God, I pray today, Lord, that you will make those callings clear and, and that you'll give us the courage to do what you've called us to be about. And Lord, I do pray for those people here today who have yet to say yes to Jesus and as they have witnessed the baptisms, the open testimonies of, 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 of kids and others who have said, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and I greatly, gratefully serve you. May that be their story today too. Lord, bring people to yourself. Thank you for what you're doing. Now, Father, speak today. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, fellowship. Good to see you this morning. And uh, I say this every week, but I, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. If you are visiting with us, thank you for coming by. Thank you for being here. And if there's any way in which we can serve you, we can uh, encourage you, Thank you so much. Uh, please let us know. We would enjoy, enjoy that very, very much. Well, I got a long way to go and a short time to get there, and I know you say, you say that every week, Crawford. But uh, <laughs> I want you to meet me in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Just leave it open there for a while. Uh, we're in the middle of the series. Actually, this is the second part of a six-part series of messages entitled Choices, Choices. We're taking a look at the book of Joshua, and one of the things you're struck with if you read the book of Joshua, you read it through. By the way, Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Uh, one of the things you're struck with when you read through the book of Joshua, you go, man, this is a book of decisions. This is a book of choices. And uh, the way to understand this series, uh, I, I, I wrestled with this to try to summarize how, how, how can you understand these six messages on choices? Well, here's a principle. I want to summarize the, all six messages in this one principle, and it's only three words. And the principle is simply this. Challenges force choices. The whole reason why we have challenges and the whole reason why we're painted in the corner sometimes and the whole reason why uh, we, we feel pressure, often it's God driving decisions, choices, things that we need to do better, things that we need to stop doing, new directions in which we need to go. So challenges drive choices. 
Obviously, there are more than six choices in the book of Joshua. We could have, I, you know, it's a long book and we could have talked about a bunch of them. But I identified six dominant major choices that Joshua was confronted with. And by way of implication, we are confronted with as well. Now, I need to do something to clean up from last week. Uh, several have said, Crawford, you talk so fast about those six choices and the uh, six challenges and the choices that they represent Maybe can you give it to us again? So let me do that right now. I want to I walk through the six challenges and the six choices. We began last week at the very end, which is the place to begin always. The place to begin in terms of le- uh, living a life of meaning. If you want to live a life of meaning, you begin your life with the end in mind. Because it gives you a sense of focus. And so we, we started with Joshua's eulogy in Joshua 23 and 24 as he's finishing strong and finishing well. And so the first, the first challenge is Joshua's pending death. Well, what's the choice? The choice there is faithfulness. The second challenge, and we'll talk about that today, is from chapter 1. The challenge is an impossible assignment. What's the choice? The choice there is courage. The third challenge is uh, found in chapter 4. It's crossing the Jordan River. What's the choice there? The choice is to remember. The fourth challenge is conquering Jericho in chapter 6. What's the choice there? Radical obedience. The fifth challenge is devastating defeat, chapter 8. What's the choice there? The choice there is holiness. And the sixth sixth challenge is deception. That's chapter 9. What's the choice there? Discernment. Discernment. And so again, the overarching principle is that challenges force choices. In fact, if you're in the midst of a hard time right now, if you're in the midst of a, a situation that is just bewildering and you're feeling the heat and the pressure... Not that you could always know what God's doing, by the way, and uh, just a little aside here, be very careful. If somebody's suffering and going through a hard time, be very careful. Don't, don't act like God to them. Don't, don't, give, don't give, you know, your 10-cent insight, because you might be wrong. Uh, but if you're going through a hard time, ask the question, what decisions does God want me to make? What choices do I need to make in light of what I'm going through right now? What's the message here? That's what you need to ask. Now, let's get back to chapter one. I need to set this up in a way. Uh, In the five and a half years that I've been here, I've never repeated a message to you. Uh, That's on purpose. I go before the Lord and I ask God to give me something fresh for the people here. And... uh, and it's a privilege. I love studying the Word of God. I, I am energized, by the way, when I study God's Word. I love it. I, 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 if you ask me, what is your ideal work day? My ideal work day is to be up in my study with my books and with the Bible open. And I love doing that. I love preparing for you. And so uh, I, I enjoy doing that. This message I have preached before. And I'm not doing it because I'm mailing it in. Uh, I'm I'm honestly not doing it for that reason. Uh, Five and a half years ago, this was the first message that I preached here at Fellowship Bible Church. I started to skip this because I had preached it five and a half years ago. 
Now, the truth of the matter, y'all don't remember what I preached three months ago. So, I, you know, <laughs> it's just like, don't give yourself that much credit. You know, I mean, hey, I've been around the block. This ain't my first rodeo. OK, so uh, uh, so I didn't want to stroke myself too much. But, I, you know, the reason I'm sharing this message, I have preached this message a great deal. There are two reasons why I'm sharing this message. First of all, it is the anchor text, Joshua 1, 1 through 9 for the whole book. If you, if you avoid preaching this and you can't understand the rest of the book, you really can't. It is the anchor for the rest of the book. And the other reason why I, I'm doing this is a personal one. For whatever reason, I preach this message to myself often. And I found as a, as a leader, this gives me context. It encourages my soul deeply because the nature of leadership is that you have to be out by yourself sometimes. That is the nature of leadership. That's what it's really all about. And uh, uh, this is a great text to encourage our hearts. It is the clearest passage anywhere in the Bible on courage. In fact, in fact, there is a fourfold descriptive definition that's right here in the text on courage. Now, again, I got to tell you, remind you of the challenge that Joshua is facing. It is an impossible assignment. He is about ready to see the fulfillment of what God promised 40 years ago at a burning bush to the greatest man that God said ever lived, and that was Moses. So here Joshua is, this, this leader, no longer a young man now. His mentor is gone. The task is before him. Now, framing all of this, they have had the funeral for Moses. Moses is dead. Over in chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, verses 7 through 8, Moses calls Joshua up and, 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 and stands in front of all the people and says in the sight of all of Israel, charges Joshua, be strong and courageous. He says, this is your leader here. This is your leader. The mantle of God's anointing and leadership has fallen on him. Moses dies. And I happen to believe that emotionally, this has got to be one of the top five texts in the Bible when you think about it. For here you have Joshua and two and a half million Israelites on this side of the Jordan River. It is due day, showtime. No more laps around Mount Sinai. This is it. And God himself comes to Joshua. God himself, no messenger, God himself comes to Joshua and he gets in his grill and he gives him a message on courage. Basically, courage, let me give you the outline right now. There's a fourfold descriptive definition of courage. Four basic things that God says to Joshua before he takes these folks into the promised land. He says, number one, courage rests upon a clear assignment from God. Number two, courage rests upon the assurance of God's presence. Number three, courage rests upon focused determination. And number four, courage rests upon or is resourced by the word of God. So he comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, 
you have an enormous, impossible task. You can't pull this off apart from me. First of all, courage rests upon a clear assignment from God. Let me say this to you. Nothing in life ever happens apart from courage. Nothing, 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 nothing. You, you can have plans. You can have brochures. You can have ideas. You can tell people what you intend to do. You can shoot the video. You can show the video. You can have your focus groups. You can have your ideas. You can fly everybody in. And sometimes we think planning is the same thing as pulling the trigger. But nothing in life happens apart from courage. There's no organization in existence apart from courage. There's no business in existence apart from courage. There's no church in existence apart from courage. There's no movement in life apart from courage. Somebody somewhere has to stick their neck out to do something. And there's no movement in your life apart from courage. Just because we rearrange the furniture in our lives and we get a newer suit and we speak different language and we say the latest and the hottest thing, that, that, that's not an indication of implementation. We deceive ourselves all the time. We, we think because we have goals and dreams and objectives that we have movement. That's not movement. Movement is pulling the trigger. Courage is in the verb position. It's in the verb position. And so the very first thing that God reminds Joshua, listen, listen, buddy, listen, 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 listen. Courage rests upon a clear assignment from God. It is ridiculous and idiotic to talk about courage if you don't know what you're supposed to do. Just like faith, there's no such thing as faith apart from opposition. Opposition defines faith. You don't just have faith. You have faith for something. You have faith in spite of something that's coming against you. That's what sheds the light on faith. Courage does not exist unless there's a mission. That's the reason why you have courage. You just have obnoxious, bombastic people that sometimes we call them courageous. That's not courage to be nasty and hard-nosed. Courage in the Bible is always defined by clarity of mission. You are courageous for something. And so that's the reason why God comes to Joshua and he reiterates the mission. He says in verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, now listen to these five words, Moses, my servant, is dead. Have you ever stopped to think about why did God tell Joshua something that he already knew? Think about that. Why would he tell Joshua something that he already knew? It ain't like he was out on a business trip when Moses died. He was there when Moses preached his own eulogy. I mean, he was at the funeral. He was there. I mean, he saw it. Why, why, do, you, why, do, you think, why do you think God told Joshua something that he already knew? Because the message is deeper. I think it's strongly implied. God was telling Joshua two things. Number one, he was telling him, be careful of inappropriate, sustained grief over loss. Now, he didn't tell him not to grieve. He didn't tell him not to feel sorry about it. But God was telling him, much, much like David had to be told, there is a point at which your grieving becomes an impediment to what needs to be done in the future. 
There's a point at which you're too nostalgic. There's a point at which you're looking in the rearview mirror too much. There's a point at which you want to keep defining the future based upon what happened in the past. Now, he wasn't knocking what Moses has done, but he was saying to him, now, look, look, Moses was great. I used him as his generation. He did what I called him to do. But you can't keep trying to define the future based upon what's happened in the past. And neither can you be so overwhelmingly sorrowful because he's gone. And the application is people leave our lives all the time. People change churches. People go different places. Organizations change. Leaders change. Things happen all the time. And if you're overwhelmingly uh, uh, nostalgic about people not being around, who, no matter how great they are, you're not going to move forward. So he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. And again, he wasn't being cold-blooded. He was saying, when a man of God dies, nothing of God dies. Notice he said, Moses, my servant is dead. He was my servant for this moment in history, but now you're my servant. Now you're my servant. This is a great insight for all of us to hold on to. It puts your arrogance in perspective. Leaders die, and when a leader dies, God keeps moving. And should I die? I am going to die. Jesus doesn't come back. But should I die briefly? Now, I'm hoping the elders and Mark and the rest of the dudes will kick some dirt over my coffin and say a few nice things, maybe cry a little bit, uh, <laughs> just, just a little bit. But, but you know, you know what their job is? Drop to your knees and say, next. I, I just wanted to labor that. I'm not going to spend as much time on these others. I wanted to labor that just for a little bit. Because one of the tools of the wicked one is to get us staring in the rearview mirror just a little bit too long. Just a little bit too long. God says, okay, you are here. Here's the river. There's the land. Moses is dead. You got the ball. The game clock has now been pushed. So he reiterates the assignment. He says to him, okay, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this, Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. Basically, what that is, is just a summation of what God told Moses 40 years ago. You know this, Joshua. Here's the assignment. I just want to say it again. I just want to say it one time. This is why you live. This, here, not here, 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 here. This is your assignment. This is why you were born. Right here. What were you born to do? The saddest thing, listen to me, the saddest thing for me as I march on with my years, the saddest thing for me is to meet people who are 40, 50, 60 years old and they don't know why they're here. They don't know the assignments that God has given to them. 
They don't know what to be courageous for. What is it God has assigned you to do? What is it that he's written over your heart to do? In fact, I've got an assignment for you to do today. Go home, really, as soon as you can, because I don't want you to procrastinate this. As soon as you can, pull out a piece of paper and write down, what, what is God's assignment for me? And then underneath that, write down, what does God want me to do that I'm afraid to face up to? What does he want me to do? And you know you hear it. You know you hear it. What does he want me to do that I'm afraid to face up to? God said, okay, Joshua. What gives meaning to your courage is the clarity of this mission. Uh, Courage, number one, rests upon a clear assignment from God. It's ridiculous to talk about courage if you don't know what you're supposed to do. Okay? You got to be clear. That's like sending a football team out on the field without a game plan. You got to know what you're supposed to do. Secondly, however, courage rests upon the assurance of God's presence. (laughs) This is amazing here. Look at verse 5. He says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Look down at verse 9. Uh, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Some years ago, I did a study of all the callings of God in the Bible. You want something that will bless your heart. Did you know, did you know, in every calling in the Bible, in its immediate context, God never calls someone to do something without telling them that he's going with them? Here's the point I want to make. Don't miss this. Here's the point I want to make. See, your assignment is not a statement about you. What God wants you to do is not a statement about your contribution during the time in which you live. The assignment that God gives you, the assignments that God gives me is a statement about him. See, that's the reason why his neck is on the line. It's not about you. It's not about Crawford. My, My ministry here at Fellowship is not about Crawford. My calling here is not about me. It's never about the celebration of my competencies. It's not about me at all. It's about God. So when God calls people to do something, there is something about himself that he wants manifested through that assignment. When God calls somebody to do something, there's something that they need to experience because God called them to do it. That's the reason why God's assignments are always greater than we are. Because in the process of doing the assignment, we see him do miracles in our lives. And he says to him, just as I was with Moses, as soon as he said that, I can imagine Joshua go, whoa, 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 wow, whoa, the burning bush, crossing of the Red Sea. Sinai, manna, Genevini. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, 
Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sidkenu, Elohim. Just as I was with Moses, I would be with you. I think he was saying, what are you afraid of? What, 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 what are you afraid of? Today, February the 13th, my dad would have been 97 today. This is his birthday. Yesterday I was thinking about this. Uh, <laughs> we, we grew up in northern New Jersey, as most of you have heard me speak know. And um, first 12 years of my life, we lived in Newark, New Jersey. My dad was a baseball fanatic. He was a New York Yankee fanatic. Homeboy knew all the batting lineups back to the 20s. And uh, <clears throat> so on Saturday, sometimes, back then they had Saturday games and stuff, my sisters would go downtown shopping with my mother. Me and Pop would go downtown and hop on the Hudson Tube to go over to Manhattan and catch the train up to the Bronx. It was only, Manhattan was like 10 miles from Newark. So. And, uh, but I, some of my fondest memories are with my dad going to ball games. Unbelievable. But, you know, when we would go over there, the trains would be packed. You know, they had, I mean, just packed with people. And you, you can imagine all kinds of folks in New York City. I mean, just crammed there. But you know what? I never remember, I'm like four, five, six, seven years old, I never remember any minute in my life when I was with my dad that I was afraid. He had these big hands. And he would grab me by the hand. He said, okay, CW, come on, stay close to me. And as long as I knew that Pop had me, I wasn't afraid. Listen to me. I know some of you, God's given you dreams. He's given you ideas. He's given you vision. He's given you stuff. I've talked to some of you. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? His presence is not theoretical, it's real. So what if you fail? Wouldn't you rather fail surging ahead than to drown in a crowded sea of apathy and complacency? What are you afraid of? Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. Courage rests upon a clear assignment from God. It's ridiculous to talk about courage if you don't know what you're supposed to do. That's silly. That's presumptuous. However, if you do know what you're supposed to do, number two, courage rests upon the assurance of God's presence. Why? Because it's not about you, Crawford. It's about me. But number three, courage rests upon focus, determination. Focus, determination. Uh, this gets interesting here. It's as if, you know, he said, now wait, 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 just a second. This don't mean you're out the woods. Okay? Now here's the deal. Three times, listen to what he says here. Beginning at verse 6, he says, be strong and courageous. Opening line of verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. And then the last line of verse 9, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you, okay? But not up to verse 9, the first part of verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things here, stating the obvious here. I want you to notice that he commands him to be strong and courageous. 
He doesn't enter into a dialogue with Joshua to see if he's wired to be strong and courageous. Here's a point I want to make. Now, I'm not knocking that. I do think, you know, when you're looking for people, you, you should be looking for competencies and this kind. I'm not knocking that necessarily, but don't go too far with that. You see, I happen to believe that every assignment God gives us is beyond our ability to do. That's the nature of his assignments. If there's no gap between what you bring to the table and what God's asking you to do, then 90% of the time it may not be what God's asking you to do. For there's always gap in the assignment because God is proving himself to be faithful. God is proving himself to be all-sufficient. God is proving himself to be able. And if you can do it and you can measure it and you can justify it based upon what you bring to the table, what do you need God for? I mean, as simple as that. So, so he, 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 he says, he doesn't enter into some dialogue with Joshua about, now Joshua, let me see your style of influence. What does Myers Briggs say about you? Um, you know, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't go there. It sounds like I'm knocking. That's great. It is great stuff. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is that God was saying, look, 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 here's the deal, buddy. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you act courageous, you're going to get more courage. If you're going to be strong, don't keep picking up something heavy. You see, you don't get courage by sitting back disengaged. Courage is developed through acts of obedience. And the more you obey God and and step into the gap and step into the unknown and step out there by faith, that's when he gives you the resources. He's not going to give you the resources before you exercise the faith. That's what he's saying. He said, be strong and courageous. Now, the other thing that he was saying is this. God was realist. He said, now, look, 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 wait, 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 time, 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 well, let me tell you something, okay? Now, uh, you're here in the Jordan, okay? And there's a land over there. That's Canaan. You're going to occupy that land. But I'm going to tell you what time of day it is, buddy. Don't think because I've asked you to do this that it's going to be easy. These people are going to want you very dead. And they're not going to have, they're not going to have the welcome wagon out for you, okay? The Chamber of Commerce is not going to meet you with a bunch of balloons and say, oh, which part of our land would you like to take? He commanded them to be strong and courageous because he presupposes opposition. If there's no opposition, there is no courage. If there is no opposition, there is no courage. The reason why you have courage is that you presuppose resistance. The very nature of the word is to presuppose resistance. You see, this is, this, is, this is the game we've been playing here in recent years. I mean, I, I, yeah, I hear Christians say this all the time, particularly folks who have vision and dreams and ideas in, 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 the, in, in, a, in a way of trying to make you feel good about them and nurture them. They have a way of euphemizing disobedience. They'll say stuff like, you know, well, um, you know, um, we, we started to do this and then, you know, things didn't happen. And so we took that as confirmation from the Lord that we shouldn't do that. So, huh? Oh, you had some problems and some opposition. So 
you said the Lord didn't want you to do it. I tend to take the opposite view of that for the most part. Now, sometimes God does stop things. But after all these years of ministry, I'm of the opinion that if you don't have some opposition, it may not be what God wants you to do. You honestly think the devil's sitting back in his lazy boy lounger while you do God's will? You, you honestly believe that? You honestly believe that, that you're going to have a good time just doing whatever God tells you to do and there won't be any problems, no hassles, everything will just fall right in line and, you know, the church will be fine and we'll get the resources for this and things will be hunky-dory. And all. No, 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 no. We're in warfare, ladies and gentlemen. We're in warfare. And as you dive into the book of Joshua, you know God told him to do this for a reason. They were coming after him. He had problems with his own people. He was out there by himself. He kept hearing, okay, wait, focus, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And I don't want to get sidetracked here because when I speak on this to men's conferences, I have a particular burden for men at this point. And I'm going to just come right out and say, guys, you know, we got to fight the encroaching feminization of manness and maleness. I didn't say homosexual. I said we're being constantly feminized. God designed for every man to be a pioneer to a certain degree. Our very nature is to be out front. And I find it is, it is killing me. It's hurting me. It's hurting me deeply. I'm finding with succeeding generations this, 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 this being adverse to leadership among men. Wanting to run. It's like God said, Joshua, Josh, don't go anywhere. When these people are looking at you as a leader, they can't hear motivational speaking. They can't hear you standing there talking about, you know, what you intend to do. They got to watch you. You're the last to stand, buddy. You're the last to stand. You don't, you don't lead by, by, by your title, Joshua, the general of Israel. Well, what's that all about? And so it is with all of us. When God gives you an assignment, you presuppose warfare. Because there's something to advance the kingdom through your life. And the enemy is upset because you're advancing the cause of Christ through your life. Forgive me for being so intense, but this is a huge issue. And in many of our churches, people have chosen a comfortable disobedience over and an uncomfortable obedience. Fourthly, courage rests upon a clear assignment from God. Silly to talk about courage if you don't know what you're supposed to do. Number two, it rests upon the assurance of God's presence. He is greater than any situation or circumstance or any enemy, any lack of resources. He has everything we need. But number three, Courage knows what time of day it is, too. Focused determination. There are many discouraging factors involved when you try to implement God's will. But fourthly, courage is resourced by and driven by the Word of God. Oh, (laughs) the only place in the Bible, and you've heard me say this here before, the only place in the Bible where the word success is defined 
But I want you to pay attention to the verse. Pay attention to the verse. Pay attention to the verse. He says, for this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do all that is written therein. That's verse 8. And then you, 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 Joshua, not me, not me, you, not me, you, not me, you will make your way prosperous. And you will have good success. God said to Joshua, look, look, buddy, let me tell you something. In a little bit, y'all going to cross this river, and it's going to be on. All right? It's going to be on. Game time. Now, you can get cute if you want to. You can live off the stories in the wilderness if you want to. You can try to impress them with your competencies if you want to. But I'm going to tell you something. The only way you're going to be successful is if every decision, every choice, every action, every response is driven by this book. And it's on you. It's on you. He says, first, this book of the law should not depart out of your mouth. You need to proclaim truth, Joshua. These people need to hear word from me. And your leadership is under me. And you need to possess truth. You shall meditate therein day and night. That word meditate is a Hebrew word that means dull sound. In other words, you need to know it, buddy. Don't just say it. You got to know it. And then you need to practice truth. Observe to do, to do, to do, to do, to do, to do, to do. All that is written therein. If you do that, you will not only accomplish the mission. Now listen to this, listen to this. Don't go to sleep. You will not only accomplish the mission, but you will be the mission. You missed it. You missed it. Every assignment that God gives us. Every assignment that he gives us is a development of godliness in us. So we not only do what he says, we become what he says. And that's what God wants to do through you. Maybe, maybe you're hitting a ceiling in your walk with God, not because you're not reading your Bible and praying, not because you're not involved. Maybe you're hitting a ceiling because you're not doing everything he told you to do. You're ignoring the assignments. What is it? Fellowship, what is it that he wants you to do? One of the unique signatures on this church, and I really believe it is a unique calling on this church, is that God raises up ministries through this church, and I think there are more ministries that need to be raised up here at this church. We have a discipleship calling here at this church. We're different from other churches. I didn't say we're better than other churches. Different ain't wrong. It's just different. And God does not want the bulk of you coming here to fellowship just sitting in a chair. He don't want you just coming here just filling up notebooks and listening to CDs. He's got assignments for you and he's saying, 
Are you going to get in the game? You going to get in the game? What is it? What's that clear assignment? What were you born to do? What are those good works that he wants you to walk into? And then he says, at a certain point, Crawford, stop talking about it. Be the verb. Be the verb. Get out of the noun position. Be the verb. Father, help us. Help me. Lord Jesus, it is so very easy to have a relational Christianity uh, that helps us with all things sin and those things, which is very important. But to miss the leveraging of our lives for the glory of God and the kingdom because we're scared, we're afraid. Lord Jesus, give us the courage to take the next step, we pray, whatever that might be. Lord God, bless the work of our hands, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.